Superman, Wolverine, the Incredible Hulk, comic book heroes that possess superpowers and super strength. They're the stuff of fantasy and make-believe. Their abilities and powers enable them to defeat entire armies of men. Their pure physical strength is unnatural. It's not just more than average, but it far surpasses any human being. Today, the supermarket hero is filled with more realistic characters. The modern-day superheroes are still those who possess amazing powers, but they're also portrayed warts and all. They're portrayed with their flaws. Take, for example, Batman and the Dark Knight. There is one character in the Bible that seems to be plucked right from the pages of a modern-day superhero comic book. Immortalized in song as the guy with the long hair and the Bible's most famous haircut. If the story of Samson was a L'Oreal ad for men, it may have had the strap line because she's worth it. In fact, as I read some of the story over the past couple of weeks, I began to get hair envy for those long flowing locks. So is this a story just about awesome hair and a botched haircut? Or is there something more going on? We're back looking at some of the Bible's colorful characters. And as we've said, as we set out in this journey, what we're hoping to do is simply give an overview of a character's life and then ask ourselves, how does this relate to how I live today? It's not possible in these overviews to give all the details of a character's life and times. This is especially true of the story of Samson. As I've read the story of Samson, there is so much going on in this life. There is so much going on in this iPad of a sermon, so we will be editing this sermon as we go along because I think you'd be scared if you could see the word count that is currently on this iPad, but I don't intend to use all of them, so don't panic. You'll be out before half twelve. So the hope is that you will spend some time over the incoming week engaging with the text yourself and looking at the story of this remarkable man and ask yourself two questions. Was there anything new that I heard in the story this time? And what in the story makes me want to live my life differently? Samson is a story of tremendous strength. Samson's also a story of tragic weakness. And Samson is also a story of triumphant grace. Three-point sermon. We could be traditional and do that, but we're not going to follow those headings. Just to give you an overview. So let's jump straight into the story. In the passage that Caroline read for us, we're given the context for the life of this man. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Once again, God's people had forsaken him to follow 
other gods, and he removes his protection and allows the Philistine people to oppress them for 40 years before he sends a deliverer. And in the story of Samson, we encounter a story that starts with his parents, a man and his wife, childless and sterile. But they're told that the Lord will perform a miracle and they will conceive a son. But it's not just the fact that they're going to conceive a son that the wife gets told. There are also some really special instructions regarding this Israel child. While she's pregnant with the child, she's to drink no alcohol, touch no unclean thing, and when he is born, his hair is never to be cut. The reason we heard in the scripture given for this is because that Samson is to be a Nazarite, set apart for God from birth. So Samson is to be a Nazarite. I don't know about you, but do you know what a Nazarite is? Maybe it's best to look at the context of what this means. So we need to flick back a couple of pages and find ourselves in Numbers chapter 6. And we see that there are four qualifications of being a Nazarite. Firstly, you were to dedicate yourself to God for a period of time. Secondly, you couldn't touch anything unclean or a dead body. Thirdly, you couldn't cut your hair, and that includes a beard. And fourthly, if you break the vow, you have to shave your head and start all over again. So we can see from the outset that this vow is not a vow to be entered into lightly. It's not like you can turn around at the end and say, well, do you know what? I almost made it. No, you either made it or you didn't. But note that Samson is to be a Nazarite from birth. Normally, people would take this decision to become a Nazarite, but this is a vow that Samson himself has no responsibility for. It's chosen for him. Scene one, Samson born with huge potential. Scene two, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. Everywhere you go in life, there are warning signs. There are signs along the road that warn us about dangers that may lead, sorry, may lie ahead. There are warning signs that our bodies give us from time to time that there are problems going on underneath the surface. And there are warning signs in our minds that send out when there's a problem. Samson wants a wife. In Judges 14, Samson and his parents make a journey to find a Philistine woman that Samson has his eye on. His parents, on the other hand, well, this is a special child, and they just weren't too sure. Is there not a girl among your own people who you might be interested in? They ask Samson. But Samson's having none of it. He tells his father to get her for him, for she is the right one, as Peterson in the message paraphrases. Now we begin to see some of Samson's superhero powers and strength 
on display. The text tells us that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And what does he do? Well, as they're on this journey, he rips a lion open bare-handed. Now, I don't know about you, but the only place I kind of like to see lions is in the zoo when they're behind a nice cage and they can't get anywhere near me. And I think I would even have trouble stroking one, never mind attempting to rip one apart with my bare hands. So Samson, after ripping the lion apart, goes back to marry this girl that he wants to be his wife. And as he sets back on that journey to to marry this girl, he discovers the lion carcass lying at the side of the road. And he looks over. And in it were a swarm of bees and some honeys. And he scoops out the honey and he eats it. And when he rejoins his parents on the journey, he gives them some of the honey as well. Dead animal, touching, coming in contact with. Can we remember one of the vows of being a Nazarite? You're not to touch anything unclean. You're not to come into contact with a dead body. And here Samson is blatantly breaking that rule, not only breaking the rule for himself, but also giving it to his parent. Samson gets married, and we discover quite quickly that Samson is a fan of a cryptic crosswords, and he gives the people at the wedding a riddle. And he isn't for telling anyone the answer. They will have to work it out for themselves. And the reward is linen garments. Some people are angry that they can't work out the riddle, and they threaten Samson's wife. If he doesn't tell you the answer, and you tell us then we'll set fire to your father's household. Samson still not for telling. Then we get that interesting turn of phrase again, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And this time, it's not a lion that gets killed, but Samson kills 30 men. Now the father-in-law thinks that Samson will be raging with his wife for all that is going on. So while Samson is away, the father arranges for Samson's wife to marry the guy who was the best man at the wedding. So we've already heard Samson likes tearing animals apart with his bare hands. He kills 30 men. What do you think the response is going to be when Samson comes back? Do you think he's going to sit down and say, let's just reason this out together? No, this time... Not content with killing a lion and 30 men, he now goes out and kills 300 jackals. And in groups of two, he ties their tails together and places a torch between them and uses the torches to set fire to the Philistine land. The NSPCA would not be happy with this section of the scriptures. So the land gets burned. Enter onto the scene angry Philistines when they find out what Samson has done to their land. And what do they do? Well, they burn Samson's wife and her father. You couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. It's one thing after another. And Samson's response, what does he do now? Well, he rips people apart. And he did it from limb to limb. I think we're getting the picture that Samson isn't the kind of guy 
that you want to get on the wrong side of. Now, Samson thinks after all this killing, maybe he needs a little time of self-reflection and finds himself in a pit. And he goes there, but he's sought out by his own people. He's captured by them and handed into the hands of the Philistines. Now, you can imagine, this is one heck of a prize for the Philistines. Here is this guy who had burnt their land, and now he is in their captivity. And in Judges chapter 15, we find Samson bound. Now, if you had Samson's track record, what use do you think ropes are really going to be? Samson breaks the cords, and not, not stopping there, like the Old Testament Bear grills that he is, he strikes a thousand people. And he doesn't just strike them, he strikes them with a donkey's jawbone. Yep, you heard me right. We've had lions, we've had jackals, we've had fire, we've had donkey's jawbones. And then we get to that bit of the story that we're all familiar with, thanks to Tom Jones. Enter Delilah. Samson has been in charge of the people for about 20 years. There's been a period of relative peace because if you've got a leader like Samson who's busy ripping things apart, this isn't the people that you're going to want to mess with. Now, Samson's name means light. And Delilah, well, it comes from the word darkness. This is where the original hearer's ears would have pricked up. They would have got this wordplay. Here we have light meeting darkness. Here we have day meeting night they would have known that when these characters enter the scene with these names, that things can't be going in a good direction. Now, Samson, while he might have broken the vow of touching on clean things, has still continued to grow his hair. And everybody wants to know what is behind his great strength. And Samson's not for telling, at least not right away. But what we see is Delilah longing to hear and Samson slowly buckling. Finally, Samson can't take it anymore. So what does he do? Well, he gives it to her. She wants the answer to the question and he responds by letting her know that the strength is in the hair. But maybe it's not in the hair. Maybe the strength is actually in the vow that represents why he has the long hair. The hair is what sets him apart. The hair is what marks him as different. The hair is what says, Samson, you're not just anybody's, you're God's. And we know what happens in the rest of the story. The hair gets shaved, the downfall is complete, and we find Samson not only having his his head shaved, but his eyes gouged out. This This story would have an 18 if we went to see it for Film Club. The man whose real name means light can no longer see the light. He will remain in the darkness that entered when Delilah came in from the night. We find Samson blind, hairless, forced manual labor, grinding grain as his punishment. The light is blind, the light is slaved, and the light 
is captured. But that's not all that happens in the story because you see hair has a funny way of growing back again. Even if you're follically challenged like me, I even have to shave my hair every couple of weeks to kind of tidy it up. Now this is where we need to think back to the very beginning. Remember those vows? What happened if you broke the vows? You were to shave your head, but then you had the opportunity to start all over again. The vow is in the the starting over. So we find Samson being taken out of prison, and the people mock him. And what does Samson do? Samson returns with a prayer to his God. Sovereign Lord, remember me. But under the surface, there's still feelings of rage and revenge. And we read, down comes the temple, Samson and all. In a great force of nature, he, this great force of nature finds himself dead in the midst of the ruins. One scholar says that Samson is a blind, uncontrollable force, leaving a path of destruction and destroying himself. So church, what do we take from this story this morning? Well, we take away that consequences, sorry, actions have consequences. I've always had a fear of consequences. When I was growing up, I was that kind of kid that everybody hated at school, the goody two-shoes. I didn't even like standing next to someone who was being yelled at. But yet I still made mistakes, and I discovered that the older you get, you can find ways of covering up your mistakes so nobody really knows. The story of Samson that we have shared is about the consequences of our actions and how some of the actions we take have consequences not only for ourselves, but for others. Do you remember in the reading we heard that Samson was from a tribe of Danites? Well, this whole story has consequences for them. Recently, I've been reading a book about Native Americans, and it turns out that before they made any major decision that affected the community, they would ask, what effect will this decision mean for the next seven generations? We live in a day and age where everything is immediate, and the the phones we carry in our pockets connect us to the immediate. It's all about me and my choices. I didn't like. It's not my sort of thing. I was looking for something different. How about this morning we take a step back and look around the church? Why don't you try and do this? Look for someone near you or beside you who you know is younger than you. Have you ever thought about some of the decisions you take affecting them, either for the better or for the worse. All these stories that we have been asking and sharing about over these weeks raise questions about what it means to have faith, 
What does it mean to be a person of faith, flaws and all? Asking ourselves, how, how does our faith impact the situations that we find ourselves in, the decisions we make, and the choices we choose? Very topical this week with the IF campaign. The decision about what we do with our food has real consequences. What will our actions say to the next generation? Will it say that we saw people starving and decided to do nothing about it? Or will we do something by being involved with that campaign? Because we know as we read Scripture, God isn't silent on issues of injustice. Maybe we need to find our voice. What does it mean to be a person of faith? I don't know about you when I think about being a person of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 seems to be something that springs into my mind from my childhood. The so-called, commonly called, heroes of the faith. And here we get a list of great names. But then if we read down that chapter, we come to this line. And I don't even have time to tell you about who. And I don't even have time to tell you about Samson. Samson, this man that loved to rip up lions, loved to kill jackals, loved to set fire to things. Samson. How does Samson get included on the list after all that we have heard about him? Quite simply, he's included because being a person of faith isn't about getting it all right. It's not about getting 100%. It's not a list of winners, but a list of stumblers. Look at the other people on the list. Moses killed a man. David, the guy after God's own heart, also seemed to have a heart for multiple women. You don't have to do it right. You don't have to do it perfectly. Because we come to our God in our weaknesses, in our wounds, and in our failures, and in our sins. The wounded, learning from the wounded. The ones who have cut their hair, broke the vow, and are starting over again. That's what church is. Don't even have time to get into some of the other quotations and stuff I have here. Henri Nguyen, the wounded healer, bits from Doctor Who. But Samson, Samson, what do we learn from his story? Well, we encounter ourselves in that story and we see that actually Samson is like us. At the end of the day, as Leonard Cohen would sing, Ring the bells that can still ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Church, let's look at our scars this morning. Church, let's look at our wounds this morning and acknowledge that those wounds make us who we are. We're not perfect. And in that acknowledgement, let us go from here back into the world outside these doors and impact it by just living. Decisions, consequences, living, generation. There's a lot going on beneath the haircut in Samson. Let's pray. 
Father, as we spend time in your word, we're reminded by the challenge that it is to figure out what it means to live for you in this generation. Father, we pray that we would make decisions that are right, that we would make decisions that would bring the good for all, that we would look at things like the IF campaign and say, let's do something about this because one in eight people going to bed starving at night just isn't good enough when we can do something about it. Father, stir us, raise us up, send us out into the world to impact it just by living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.